Good morning, church. Remain standing just for a moment as we read our scripture this morning. May you hear with me the words from Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here am I. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And Abraham said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. And they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham. Behold. Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Hemuel the father of Aram, Chesed 
Hazo, Hildash, Jidlop, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Mekah. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? Holy Father, you are worthy of all praise and glory. When you woke me this morning, you reminded me of your providence. You know all. You are everywhere. You are all-powerful. This is a comfort to my heart, to all of our hearts, as we take in the challenges that face this world. But we pray this morning for our world, almost 8 billion people in calculable circumstances, each and every one created in your image, designed for worship, designed to worship you. Yet sin has marred the image of God in all of us. We're consumed with worshiping ourselves. Hostilities, brutalities, destructive wars are being waged around our planet. People are dying, not just daily, but hourly. We find no solutions to our problems. We can't even discuss them, Lord, without yelling at one another. Everyone is entrenched in his or her own idea of truth. Here in America, we have incredible blessing. We have freedoms. We have comforts. Yet we're eager, Lord, to codify cold and convenient abortion practices. We've turned your gift of creation and life into a political football. No one seems to notice or care about the tens of thousands of lives being sacrificed. Lord, I pray that you would convict and convince us of the need to elevate and esteem life, defend life, promote life, that you deliver us from the cheap views of life that the abortion industry has fostered in our culture and that now impacts literally all of life issues. Every day, senseless murders occur while we profess our human progress. Every day we move closer to moralizing euthanasia of the elderly. We need a seismic shift in attitude and appreciation for life. We need to see you as the creator and sustainer of life and goodness. Father, this morning we give you thanks for the folks at Whispering Hope. They are on the front lines uh, daily fighting to preserve life and to preach the gospel. We pray that you might equip them with the people, Lord, with resources that they need. Provide for their financial challenges that they might excel in this vital ministry in our community. I pray that you might bless the financial resources and offerings here at this church so that we 
can continue to invest in ministries like these. That you would call out people from our own congregation to volunteer and serve in these efforts. Lord, protect and promote life and the hope of the gospel through Whispering Hope Pregnancy Crisis Center. Make us at Milton Community Church passionate advocates and activists for life and for the gospel. And through it, Lord, you might use us to advance your kingdom. For we ask this today in Jesus' wonderful name and for his sake. Amen. Well, Tommy, I appreciate you uh, taking up the challenge of reading those uh, verses for us this morning. And, uh, you know, we plan um, very intentionally who will read those hard names. And uh, so I could tell you practiced a Southern dialect indeed. That's right. Well, as we uh, dive into one of this, one of the Bible's great chapters here this morning, and I'm sure that at some time or other in your uh, discipleship that you have encountered a message or a teaching on Genesis chapter 22. I was reminded as I read through this chapter this week of a couple in suburban Washington, D.C. who approached their pastor asking him to help their college student daughter who felt a calling to overseas missions. That's wonderful, the pastor replied to them. Oh, you don't understand, they said. We want you to help us talk her out of ruining her life. That couple has a flawed view of Christianity. The Christians of this ilk struggle with the Christian life. And Christians with sacrificial hearts like their daughters are the ones who will persevere in a way that honors Christ. But I've had too many of those conversations through the years with people who see giving their children to full-time ministry or missions as being a step too far. Or seeing that they might give resources, uh, things that, that they hold dear tightly to in their own lives as being too much of a sacrifice for the things of God. I can remember uh, several years ago, all my girls have made uh, trips to foreign lands to proclaim the gospel. And uh, our middle daughter, Amanda, uh, expressed to us that she felt called to uh, go for a short period of time, longer than a short, but not as long as some who are career missionaries. And I'll never forget that day, standing there in the airport and watching this child that we had raised for 25 years with more backpack than person, make her way down the ramp and get on an airplane headed for China for two years. And the thoughts that I had in my mind, all these years I had gone, all these years I had advocated for others to go, and yet when it came time to turn loose of one of my own and send, I started having a lot of second thoughts. Such it is with our human nature. We want to cling to the things that are ours in this world. And when sacrifice knocks upon the door, it's a hard and difficult challenge. It's a test that feels a step too far. We've been studying about Abraham 
Testing and sacrifice is not something that most Christians consciously sign up for when they turn to Christ. We think about heaven. We think about the blessings. We think about uh, the wonders that go with this relationship and with the people that we do it with. But rarely do we think about carefully the things that God is going to ask us to give up. What did Abraham expect when God instructed him, called him out of Ur, out of his homeland, to go to a foreign land, to go to a different place and serve him there? We don't really know what went through Abraham's mind. We do know that he obeyed. And we've watched him as he struggled with this obedience faithfully, and sometimes he's failed up and down which we can all relate to. And yet through it all, God has remained faithful, keeping covenant with Abraham. This is what has been impressive about Abraham's testimony. God has continually reminded Abraham of his promise to bless him and the world in which he dwells. In chapter 21, we rejoice with Abraham and Sarah after 25 years, finally the promise in the form of of Isaac was born to them, something that they'd been hoping for and waiting on for such a long period of time. What an incredible celebration it was. Abraham, you remember, planted a tamarisk tree, taking the long view, looking forward to the future that his descendants would have in this land that God had given them. And he worshiped God the everlasting God, a God who could be trusted, a God of covenant. Today we turn the page and we go to chapter 22. And we would like to think that Abraham is home free at this point. We've watched him grow. We've watched him excel. We've watched him uh, begin to rest in the Lord. And so we would like to think that here at this point, Abraham is going to be home free. But it doesn't work that way, does it? It does not work that way. In this chapter, Abraham faces a test. It's a severe test. It's not an easy step. It's not an easy test that God puts before him. And it serves an important lesson and purpose in Abraham's life, as well as for the name and the glory of God. And it helps us today. It helps each and every one of us because testing is a part of this journey with Christ. There's no such thing as having arrived in this Christian life until we, we reap our full glorification arriving in heaven in the presence of God. So it helps us think about the things that God places before us. And I want us to unpack these verses this morning and see what God has to say to us about dealing with testing, testing that God ordains and places squarely in front of us for His purpose of glorifying His name and for shaping us according to His pleasure. The first thing I want to show you this morning in these first two verses is that Christ followers will indeed be tested. We will indeed be tested. Notice what it says, after these things God tested Abraham. I thought that's what he had been doing for 25 years. I thought that's what he had been doing all along. Well, he had. But you think that just because Isaac has been born, just because you've reached 
across some sort of finish line that's in your mind that all of that is now completed, but it's not. It just continues. After these things, God tested Abraham. Now, what does the word test mean? It means to see what condition someone is in before God. It means to see whether the person will obey God or not. Do they truly trust God, or are they just giving lip service to it? Are they simply following Him for what they believe they will receive, or are they doing it out of a confidence in the character of God and confidence in His provision? We find this same idea presented uh, in a number of places in Scripture. A couple of verses I want to share with you. Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. Listen to this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread, manna from heaven, for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Now listen. That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So he wasn't going to give them everything up front so that they could relax, but he was going to continue to stretch their faith by testing them day to day, even for the things that they would eat. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he may humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. This is a severe test for Abraham. It's a severe and costly test. God does not tell him he's testing him. That would defeat the purpose, wouldn't it? You know if God says, you know what, you're getting ready to walk through a very difficult th- season, but I want you to know this is a test that I have ordained for your life at this time. So keep your focus on me. Well, we should have this already formulated in our minds and hearts and have an expectation that this is the way God works with us. But he doesn't say, Abraham, now I'm getting ready to give you a severe test. I want to see how you do with this. He doesn't tell him. It's severe because God's going to ask him to sacrifice Isaac, the one for whom he has waited 25 years. Now, just try to get your minds around that. 25 years, a quarter of a century, Abraham and Sarah have waited for God to fulfill this promise of a descendant. Ishmael won't do. No other other option for fulfilling this promise only my supply, only me doing this. Now God has just given him Isaac. He has seen the glory of God in this. He has rejoiced in the faithfulness of God. And God says, now, here's what I want you to do, Abraham. I want you to take your son, your only son, the one that I've given you, your unique son that's come from me by my hand, And I want you to go three days away, and I want you to sacrifice him. Get your mind around that. It appears, for all practical purposes, to invalidate God's promises. Is he faithful? Is he truly a covenant God or not? It seems like he might be a little bit cruel at this point. 
Why would he give through all of this process and then take away? It's not easy, it's not quick, and it's pretty nonsensical in many ways. Why this severe test for Abraham? Well, let me share with you. You know this, you've studied this before, but James gives us the answer to this, right? James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Listen carefully. Just listen carefully. Write these verses down and you go back and read them carefully on your own. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Count, count or determine that it's all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So did you get that? What's the purpose in God's testing? God's testing is strengthening us in endurance. He's making us steadfast. He's proving himself to us, and he's showing us that we can survive with his provision, step by step, hard thing by hard thing, mountain and valley, mountain and valley, one after the other, God continues to build like you're building a callus on your hand. You know, I made, I made the mistake of going out and trying to rake some leaves this weekend. You know, I put on gloves, but you know, I'm so soft-skinned. My hands are so soft, Craig. I got this big blister even through the gloves. What does that say? <laughs> that says I need to work on those calluses a little bit, right? I need to toughen up that skin a little bit. Well, God says, spiritually speaking, we need to be strengthened. We need to be developed in our steadfastness as he brings us through the hard things. He proves to us that he's faithful, and he proves to us that we can be victorious by resting in him, that he doesn't abandon us. And he's brought Abraham through a lot of things, but nothing as severe as this. Your son, your unique son, the seed that I have given you, that you've waited so long for, that you've struggled with waiting for, take your son and sacrificing. Why? There are lots of animals around that we can do this with, God. Why? Because I've asked you to. Because I have asked you to. We remember Abraham's ups and downs, the challenges, successes. We've, we have heard him try to negotiate with God and argue with God and push back with God and recommend other things to God. That would be a better solution. But you know, we don't get anything of that from Abraham at this point. Now, did God just leave it out? Maybe Abraham put up quite a fuss. I don't think so. I think had he, we would have been privy to it. I, I think Abraham has matured in his faith and in his trust. He's been seasoned. And now he, as hard as this is, he understands that he can trust God. He can trust him with this. He doesn't argue. He doesn't debate. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even question. He just starts getting his things together. He starts packing his stuff up. Dad, what are you doing? Well, we're going three days journey to this mountain 
that God's going to show us and we're going to worship him there. And I want you to come with me. You're to go with me. He's matured. His trust in God is sufficient because God has given them this sufficient trust for this severe test, just for this moment. God's been building him all along the way. Christ followers are going to face testing from the hand of the Lord. The second thing I want you to know is that faithful Christ followers learn and will trust and obey. Trust and obey. There's an old hymn, right? Trust and obey for there's no other way. And for the Christian, this is true. There's no other way. It's hard and difficult because we want the answers ahead of time. Trust implies that we don't get the answers ahead of time. We don't get to see how things are going to pan out. We don't get to see the end first. In fact, often all we see is the unknown. We see that it's nonsensical, that it, that it doesn't seem to have a good result. And God says, trust me, not because you can see the end, but trust me because you can see me. Trust me because I've proven to be faithful every time. Trust me because of my character and my strength and my ability. There are many examples in Scripture of God testing His followers and many who proved themselves to be faithful, to take God at His word. You remember Gideon over in Judges? Gideon was going to bring a campaign to bear against the Midianites. And I mean, they were, they were numerous. There were so many of those guys. And God said, Gideon, I want you to lead forces against these people. And Gideon said, well, sure, Lord, I'm here to serve you. And he said, how many people you got? He said, I got 22,000. 22,000, that's a pretty good army, right? You got to feel pretty good about that. God says, it's too many. Send them all home, give them a break, send them home on furlough, and tell them when to come back, and then let's see how many you've got then. So at the end of the day, after the furlough, he had 10,000. Cut it more than half. Now Gideon still felt pretty good about that. 10,000 is not anything, right? I mean, it's something. How many you got, Gideon? I got 10,000, Lord. We're ready and raring to go. God says, still too many tell you what I want you to do. I want you to take them down to the brook and I want you to tell them to get some water down there and I want you to observe the way they drink water. If they get down prostrate on the ground and put their faces in the water and drink that way, I want you to cull them out, cut them out. If they get down on one knee and they put their hand down on the water and they cup the water and they draw it up to their mouth and they're keeping their eyes on the horizon, he said, those are the guys we want. They're vigilant. So Gideon put him through the test. How many you got, Gideon? Got 300. Okay, now we're ready. What? There's 300, Lord. We had 22,000. We're down a lot of people. God says, I got this. And to Gideon's credit, he took God at his word and obeyed him. But it was a test. It was a severe test. What about Esther? Esther rose to prominence out of nowhere. She becomes queen of a foreign land, wins a beauty contest. Oh, 
her, her uncle comes to her and says, you know why you're there, right? We need you to have take the king's ear and tell him about Haman who's getting ready to try to destroy the, the Jewish people. So we need, you to, we need you to be an advocate for us with the king. Well, you know what this means? This means the king, if he doesn't like what you got to say, he just have you killed. And she pondered on that a moment. She said, you know, this is a hard thing you're asking me to do. And he said, listen, here's the word. It's just for this time that you have acquired this position. Now, you can decide to obey God or disobey God. But if you disobey him, he'll raise up someone else in your place. And he will cause you and your household to perish. Now, you decide. Well, she took, she took the Lord's word. She says, I'll do it. I'll do what the Lord has placed me here to do just for such a time as this. On and on we can go through the scripture. As Peter and John faced the same people that, that advocated and choreographed the crucifixion of Jesus, telling them to stop preaching the cross, to stop preaching the resurrection of Christ. And if you don't stop, we're going to do to you just what we did to Jesus. When these two guys said, hey, you know what? You do to us whatever you need to do. You do to us whatever you need to do. We believe and trust God. Severe test. All of them passed the test. Each situation, each situation, the people being tested obeyed the Lord. Now, there were others who didn't fare so well. The rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, look, you know, I've kept the law. I've done all these things. I'm a righteous man. And Jesus said, one thing you haven't done, you need to turn loose of these earthly possessions you're holding tightly to. Give these things to the poor and come follow me. And the scripture says he went away sad because he was not able to endure that test. He wasn't able to trust God that much. As long as he had his wealth, he could trust God. But when God asked for all of it, he was unwilling to give it. For Abraham in this situation, this is a call to worship, to believe and obey God's direction. God gives us all a great example here to emulate in the person of Abraham. The instructions from God are always a test of our affection, of our devotion. Will we love him more than we love ourselves? Will we love him more than we love this world? Will we love him more than we love the possessions or the experiences that go along with life in this world? God's always testing. He's always checking us on this. It's a call to worship him, to display our love and commitment to him. Remember, we're designed, every single person is designed to worship God. We're designed for worship. Even the atheist is designed to worship the problem is he's just decided to worship himself. He's decided to worship humanistic philosophy. Some people claim to worship God, but in fact, they really worship other things. Some people worship education. You know, just a little bit more education. Got to have this education. This is, this is the route to success. This is the route to approval from fellow man. They put it on the throne of their lives. Some people worship materialism, all things and comforts. They become our gods. It's a special danger for us that live in Western civilization. Some people worship the arts. They idolize artists and creativity in society. 
Some people worship the government. We have a plethora of people who call themselves Christians who are really Christian nationalists. They've decided they don't really, they put their God, their, their hope in God and the government, not Christ alone. Do you worship sports? <laughs> I mean, that is the false God of this age, isn't it, in our world? Now, listen, I want you to hear me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going to a sporting event. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with watching sports. I'm not even saying there's anything wrong with you being a supporter, a booster, giving some of your resources uh, to help support that. But here's the problem. It's not a problem doing any of these things. That's not the problem. The problem is having a love and devotion that supersedes that that we have for Christ. When these things displace God, when they move God out of the throne in our lives and assume that place for themselves, that's when you've got a problem. That's when you've got a problem. When they threaten the way that we manage God's resources, then you've got a problem. They keep us from being generous for God's glory, for God's honor, and from a sacrificial commitment to Christ, then you've got a problem. Abraham was facing an important test of his faith. It doesn't get any more costly than being asked to give your only son, especially one that you've waited for as long as he's waited, right? He's matured. No questioning, no deliberating, no negotiating. He took God at his word. He trusted God's character and that's demonstrated by his prompt obedience. Abraham also found this call was to trust in God's provision. Not just a call to worship, but it's a call to trust in God's provision. What God requires of us, God will provide for us. To believe God is faithful to provide for our physical needs, we do a lot of that. But he's also faithful to provide for our spiritual needs, for our ability to worship him. In fact, he's faithful to provide everything that we need, everything that we're required. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. You have no needs that are beyond God's ability and willingness to supply. Abraham took the wood. He took the fire, the knife. They went as God said, and when they arrived at the place God directed them, he left the servants. And he left them with this word, which I find astounding. He said, you guys stay here. Me and the boy are going over there. We're going up the mountain. But we will come back to you. We will come back to you. God's not told him this is a test. God's not told him what his plans are. God's told him to take his son, his only son Isaac, and sacrifice him in worship. Total commitment. Total commitment to me. But Abraham has every hope and confidence in who God is, in God's character, in God's faithfulness. He believes that God is not going to bring him back alone. And imagine how he's going to have to explain this to his household. He's just, he just made Hagar and Ishmael leave the house because of 
Sarah's jealousy and the conflict between them. And that probably caused a lot of consternation in the household among the servants and among other people. If he goes back now without Isaac, this is a big ask that God's put before him. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. What expectations did Abraham have? Moses doesn't tell us. Moses doesn't tell us, but the writer to Hebrews says it this way. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham had his sights where they needed to be. He had his heart where it needed to be with the Lord. I can't get my mind around this ask that God's put before him. But Abraham has been brought to this point where he's able to lean in and faith God. Faith Yahweh for what he's doing at this moment. It's easy to say we have trust and confidence in God. It's another matter to believe when we're in the midst of a severe test. He raised his hand. He took the knife ready to plunge it into the heart of his son. He wasn't looking around for an animal to stick in his place. He was not thinking through excuses or reasons to abort. He was obeying. And I can imagine in my own mind that Abraham's own heart was probably quaking right now. And that there were probably tears of fear streaming down his face. But he was committed and devoted to this God that he's come to appreciate and love beyond anything else. He told me to do it. He's going to prove faithful. And as hard as it is, and as difficult as it looks right now, I'm resting in his word. He was committed to obeying God's directive. Convinced that he and Isaac would return. I want you to see also that faithful Christ followers receive God's provision. Following God, trusting and obeying God guarantees God's faithful provision. Now, it may not be a provision that we anticipate or we want necessarily, but we can rest in God's faithful provision. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, Lord. Don't hurt the boy. Don't hurt him. Don't lay a hand on this boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only unique son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes, and there was, there was a ram caught in the thicket. And God said, here. Now, the angel of the Lord said this, and I believe that the angel of the Lord in this circumstance is the Lord Jesus himself, who could interrupt this sacrifice because he could look at Abraham and say, look, 
Take the ram because the ram is looking forward to me. I'm the one that's going to take Isaac's place. I'm the one that's going to take all the firstborn's place. I'm the one that's going to take all of your places for the sin that you owe to God. He's the substitutionary sacrifice. The the word fear here does not convey fright, but reverence that leads to obedience. He had such he had such esteem for who God is, such reverence and honor for who God is, that he was willing to obey him no matter what they ask. Abraham acted as he did because of his faith and devotion to Yahweh. Now, it was not a test in order for Yahweh to find out how Abraham is made up. It was a test. God already knows that. He doesn't put him here because he's trying to find out what makes Abraham tick or if Abraham really loves him. He wants Abraham to know what's inside of him. God's put the faith in him. God's built and established the faith and direction in Abraham's life. The trust God has already built into Abraham's life and he wants Abraham to be assured of it. And so the test is to show him that. Abraham, this is what you're capable of with me. This is how it works. His actions validate his reverence and all for God. His belief and confidence in God's character is on display. God provides for his worshipers. The Lord will provide. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This is probably pointing toward animal sacrifice there on the mountains that would take place for the children of Israel for months and years leading up to the coming of Christ. But more importantly, it's pointing to the coming of Christ, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. The Lord provides himself a lamb sufficient for the atonement of his elect. And I want you to see the faithful Christ followers know God's blessing. Following him in faith and obedience, and God always provides his blessing. No matter what circumstances feel or look like presently, we can trust God and know that He is going to come through and that He is going to provide blessing as He has always promised to do. We may not be able to see it now. We may not be able to see the conclusion. We can't see the fruit. But God promises and says, trust me in this and you will know my blessing." Open Doors, a ministry working with persecuted Christians around the globe, shared this little story about a Muslim convert to Christ. His name, not his real name, Bagus, was converted to Christ in 2014. He was baptized as a follower of Christ the following year. Bagus remembered well the reason he followed Christ when he was asked. He said, it was because of my long hard and troubled life the interviewer said well when you finally decided to follow him your life wasn't troubled anymore is that what you're saying and he said no not at all not anymore what did you do for a living he said I was a trash picker what were you doing for a living after you came to Christ he said I was a trash picker he said well it doesn't look like your life has changed any at all and he said oh but it has It's very different. He said, I felt happy. I felt restful. Bagus then quietly mentioned that he was a house church leader of 15 
former Muslims in his village. The journalist discovered that Bagus's life was far from untroubled as a follower of Christ. A villager had seen Bagus sharing the story of Jesus with a neighbor and reported him to the village authorities. They confronted and arrested him, threatened to kill him unless he renounced Jesus. In the face of their threat, he refused. They did not kill him, but they did ostracize him from his wife and his children. He very rarely gets to see them anymore. But he remains committed. He says, I am following him wholeheartedly, and I have rest and peace. Severe test? <laughs> you might say that. Are you facing a severe test of your faith in God? Maybe your employer keeps promoting non-believers, people who are hostile to your Christian faith, promoting them above you and leaving you sitting, treading water, if you will. Maybe your uncle is openly aggressive and hostile toward God and your Christian faith. Maybe your child is leaning into the sexual revolution that's underway in our world. Maybe your neighbor is demeaning you and your beliefs to other neighbors. Maybe your son or daughter is abandoning studying medicine to pursue missions. Maybe your best friend at school is openly proud and verbal about her sexual exploits and even the abortion she had last year. And all these things are serving to be a test to you. Will you stand for Christ? Will you be bold for the gospel in those circumstances? Or will you allow yourself to be drawn in and after those things by those heart-wrenching relationships and difficulties? Can you trust God? Will you trust God? Can you find encouragement, strength, and hope in Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac? His willingness to go to the mat because God asked him to. What's God asking you to do? And are you willing to go to the mat for his glory and for his purposes in you? Father, we thank you and bless you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Lord, what an incredible account that we have before us here today as we look at Abraham's life and how you have continued to shape him and mold him and make him into what you want him to be. Lord, I thank you that uh, you supplied everything he needed to be the man that you called him to be. I thank you for his example and his testimony. We thank you for Christ. Lord, who is our ultimate focus, the one who provides for us, the one who sees us through, who equips us for all that you ask of us, for your glory and for your honor. We want to be people who are devoted to you, who have affection for you that supersedes everything else that draws us uh, to it in this world. We pray that, Lord, we might be that kind of people, that kind of church, for our community to see. Lord, not for our own boasting or our own glory, but for your name's sake, that the gospel will go forth and compel others to look to you. Do it, Father, we pray, because you're able and we're not. Do it 
because you're worthy and we're not. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.